0: Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet
1: 960. The fans.
2: Welcome to Hockey Central at noon on a day where now three of the four major sports are into their off-seasons. I am Peter Klein. He is Logan Gordon. A very busy show for you today, as you've probably already figured out. No Kelly Kirsch on the program. Um, We do have quite a bit, though, still for you. Haley Salvian from The Athletic will be stopping by at about 12.30 as we discuss the Ottawa Senators. They make another signing today. And I haven't said this a lot about the Sens... I like what they're doing. So we'll chat about that with her coming up at 1230. But first, let's get to an extremely happy Peter Lubardius.
3: Flames Insider Peter Lubardius brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style, your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca.
2: Lou, for the first time in my lifetime, your favorite baseball team are World <laughs> Series champions. Uh, what was the uh, the celebration like as that final pitch got uh, called a strike and the Dodgers celebrated on the mound?
3: Well,
0: I can honestly admit to you that uh, I was downstairs in the basement by myself, um, leaving the two women in the household basically to themselves outside of listening to me bounce around and sometimes yell and scream um when it was all over i must admit i just uh came up the stairs and nance was at the top of the stairs and i just gave her a giant hug and uh, had a few tears roll down my face and just really tried to let it all sink in and and enjoy it so i um, feeling a bit of a glow as a result today and you know it's it's funny because i study everything you know i think about everything i study everything i study kind of everyone and um you know i i as a kid like i loved i love that team and i and i loved that team since i was like seven years old and obviously you know i remember them winning in a strike short year in 1981 And obviously everything that went hand in hand in 1988, I probably haven't guys had the same type of love affair, um, over the last 10 or 15 years that I once did, you know, you're older, you're busier, you know, I have, I have a child and you're married and I have a stepdaughter and, you know, so, so your world changes a little bit, but, um, it was the last three games in particular. Um, I almost as happy as I feel today, Peter. And, and I know that, uh, you know, certainly you're a, a, a huge Raptors fan. So, you know, you know what it's like to kind of experience that and go through that similar situation. But, you know, it's, you feel good, but I I got to admit, I almost feel relieved. (laughs) Almost Mm -hmm. feel (laughs) a a sense of just, I'm happy. Um, You know, it was, it was fantastic, but I'd be a liar if I told you that I, I sit down in front of the TV and enjoy every pitch. Like I just, it's, (laughs) it's, it, it, frankly, to be honest, it means too much in some ways Hmm when it gets to that level, the the difference that I've made over the years is um, now I'm trying to really enjoy the good stuff and the bad losses, they still sting, but I'm, I'm trying to do a better job as I get a little more mature to let the, let them go a little bit sooner rather than, Oh, I, I could. We could do a whole segment about you know the, the Gary Anderson. We've talked about that over the years. Um, you know, there's the 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 incredible loss that I felt in 2004, being in Helsinki, Finland, and watching Canada's 3-1 lead go by the wayside to the Americans at the World Junior. Um, you know, there's there's been a few for the ages like. Poor Sam Cosentino having to travel from Edmonton back to Toronto after, you know, Brett Favre throws a terrible pass. But more importantly, I was PO'd because people forget sometimes that the Vikings, somewhat like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in that 2009 game against New Orleans, you know, they had too many guys in the huddle and had to move back five yards, which they were in, you know, good field goal range before they did that so um the long usual peter lubardius way of answering it was uh it was a good night yeah
2: no and it's and
0: it's a a good day
2: yes and um you you mentioned the the raptors and the relief that i felt and another sort of parallel is that a lot of the talk after the raptor one was from non-raptor fans was about who wasn't there when it was Kevin Durant and then Clay Thompson goes down with an injury. And while there is a lot of talk about what this means for Kershaw, what this means for the Dodgers as a franchise, a lot of the talk coming out of that game wasn't necessarily, oh, wow, look at the Dodgers. It was, huh, Kevin Cash really pulled Blake Snell while he was dealing. And that has led to the analytics debate once again. Um, It's... I don't know if the two sides are ever going to find a happy medium in this debate, Lou, but uh, once again,
0: last night, analytics
2: at the forefront of the sports debate.
0: Well, you know what, Peter, it, it, it sure is. And like you said, and, and it's one of the reasons I enjoy having these conversations with you as someone who's younger, but I find, you know, your takes to be incredibly thoughtful and, with an ability to get to the middle ground, which let's be honest, um, I think we live in a world forget about last night's decision. That's never been more polarizing. Um, you know, it's. I think it's hard. Think about COVID. Think about you know what's happening in the United States leading into an election. You know, like these are really hard, polarizing times. Um, so as much as now it's about you know, analytics and listen, you know, my take, and and it was interesting to hear different broadcasters when I sat up in the wee hours of the night, you know, watching a lot of even major league baseball um, television, you know, I, I thought Harold Reynolds in, in many ways put it best. And here's what I'd say to you guys. I don't truly believe that Kevin Cash believed in the decision he made i don't i don't think mm-hmm. he was brought up that way i i don't i don't think if he truly felt like it was his decision and only his decision and that he won't wouldn't potentially pay a price for it that he would have done it that way but but that's where we've gotten to um in sports um Listen, I'm I'm not going to tell you I'm a lover of analytics. I'm not a lover of analytics. I've never been a lover of analytics. However, however, I'm also not going to be a person that says that they don't have a place and that they're not somewhat important in terms of allowing us how to evaluate. But didn't you just say to me about middle ground? Yes. And and I'll tell you what what hurts me as a longtime lover of sports about where analytics has taken us in many ways? It's ruining sport it's ruining in part my love affair of sports. It is. I I can be honest. I really can. And it's because now every single thing requires some chart and some number and some form of analysis which really goes hand in hand not just with sports but with how we look at everything and and what really hurts my heart peter in all sincerity and i see it in our business i see it everywhere and and frankly As much as I'm not a huge fan of analytics, they're not going away. And I don't want them to go away. I really don't because I can appreciate for some people that are analytically driven that it is maybe added more sports fans that we didn't have before. What I hope coming out of nights like last night is because the one thing I find is People now seem, we all now have a number. Data. Peter, in our world, data seems to mean more than people. Everybody has Twitter followers. Everybody has social media accounts. Everybody gets to look in on what everybody else does. And they get to form an opinion. And as humans, we've always done that. The difference is, in the social media era which has lots of great intention and great execution what it has done now is it has opened the door for everybody to be able to look in on everybody else have an opinion and whether sometimes it's incredibly informed or maybe it isn't so we've kind of supplied people with just enough information to be dangerous and in some cases harmful and even going back to the original part of the subject i don't for one second believe that kevin cash believed in doing that at that moment i think there were other people influencing what he ended up doing and yes that are the tampa bay rays a great team yes Has I mean, even the Los Angeles, like, don't tell me that I haven't been unbelievably frustrated with, you know, the Dodgers over the last few years and their analytical approach. I I have been. Mm -hmm. And here's the crazy thing, Peter. I like I'm sounding like I don't have an appreciation for numbers. I like I like stats. I always have. I always will. If if numbers didn't matter in sports, we wouldn't keep score. But I'm not going to come on here and tell you that, like, I have great appreciation for shot rates and this and this. Because I think we're making sports, like, too complicated. It's really, like, sports, to be honest, they're not that complicated. They're really not. They're absolutely not. So for me and I always want to get your guys opinion like how did we get here? And and is watching baseball now 4 hours long with 73 pitching changes is that more entertaining? Or is <laughs> or does baseball in the playoffs especially still come down to can you execute? Can you move runners? Does every 90 feet matter? Does it hurt when you walk people? Does Do you get in trouble when you make errors, both physically and mentally? Do clutch hits matter? Like, to me, it's... And I know I'm the old guy in the room, and I'm not opposed to learning. I've been learning about sports my whole life. It's all I've done. But I'm not... I'm not about learning numbers. I'm about learning sports. And as long as people play the games, I don't want to lose the human quality. I don't want to forecast outcome before they happen. To me, sports is the greatest live theater there is. And if we are going to continue to move as a sports society, and it's fine, I'll be happy at some point to take a back seat. But if we always need to know the answer before we actually play the games, then I'm going to tell you where I'm going to be on sports. I'm going to be out.
2: And to to, to answer the question there, um, how we got to this point, I think there are a few different ways. One, um, the money in sports got to be so big that, I mean, A, if you didn't have the money to keep up with teams such as the Dodgers, and I don't think they're a team that bought a championship, that's another rant for another day. But teams like the Yankees and teams like the Red Sox and the Angels who could spend a lot. And then you had the Rays and Oakland and the Blue Jays kind of put themselves in that spot for a while, even though they shouldn't have. Um, you have teams that need to find a way to keep up. So instead of being able to go out and get the best free agents, you go see, well, hey, maybe we try Scott Hatterberg at first base and maybe David Justice does have uh, a little bit left. And also when it comes to other people's uses of analytics, I think a lot of that, personally, a lot of that comes from sports gambling is as rampant as we've ever seen and also fantasy sports are as big as we have ever seen. And people just can't, well, as as much as we try, and, and Lou, you and I try as hard as I think anyone I've met, uh, to try to watch everything. We just can't watch everything. So you need to get a little bit of information on guys so you can make decisions about whether it be gambling or fantasy sports. And then you turn into a pseudo scout and it kind of snowballs on people. And I agree, too much analytics is... Not the answer. And I am, I consider myself someone who looks at sports in, a, in an analytics way. Like there are things that baseball's done for a hundred years that I don't agree with. And if anyone shoots a mid-range shot in basketball, I pull my hair out. Um, and there are a number of different aspects of that. But when you have a team or anything that goes too far in that direction, you're right. It does just kind of become a little unwatchable.
0: Well, you know, and that's, and that's a terrific take and I really, really appreciate it. Um, and, and I think you're 100% on the mark. And, and I just always find these situations opportun- opportunities to learn. And I've also come to learn that just because I value certain things about sports and what I like doesn't mean that it appeals the same way to other people. But in our business, if, if you stop trying to learn, that to me isn't a good thing. So, you know, I have to understand about you, Logan, other people, um, you know, who maybe were, and, and I don't think, here's the crazy thing, Pete, most of the time, I don't think the gap is that big. But what I do think has happened is so much of how people look at things in every way, shape, or form, and they always have, it's just different now, because again, we have more data. And we have more resources. And, you know, guess what? When I started in the business, you didn't have other options. I couldn't pick up my phone to learn. I had to watch to learn. And I had to get to know people in the business to learn. And I had to get to know sports people to learn. I didn't get that other way and that's not to say that my way is the right way but you know what I'm not going to ever do as long as I have a forum I'm not ever going to say that I don't think experience matters it does and I don't ever think that there's not going to come a time that at least for me I'm not going to value the people who are in the game making the decision and playing the the sports at a high level. Because I don't do that. They do. So here's been my philosophy my whole time. And and listen, I love to play armchair scout and GM as much as anyone. As much as anyone. But here's always been my philosophy. And I understand that unlike our listeners, they don't have this avenue. Which further to your point is like I said earlier, and you said, well, now because of fantasy and everything, you know, it's given people a different avenue. And I like that. I'm just really lucky. And I'm really grateful, Peter. And I'm really appreciative. Because the way I've always approached my job since I started at 18 was this. Do I have strong opinions? You're darn right I do. Um do I see things in players or teams? Yes, I do. But before, generally, I go on the air in any situation. You know what I try to do? I try to check in with the people in the sports that I cover to see if I'm on the right track. And then I operate from there. But the big part yeah. of today's discussion is, is analytics for me has taken fun out of sports because all of a sudden, even within the confines of our own business, too many times I find even my own self in situations where it seems like it's an internal battle of who knows more, me or you, my way or your way. And Peter, I've been in the business for a long time to know I, I just think I, I I don't think I know it was different, and I I'm I'm not going to lie, and I know I sound like the old guy. I miss teams sometimes.
2: Hmm. I no, really. And do. it's it it's a fine balance because I know, uh, and we we do have to get going, but I, I know. Yeah um when i when i started getting into analytics there was a time where like miguel cabrera's triple crown season, i turned my nose up at it because how could anyone value runs batted in that's such a pedestrian stat and then like i kind of had to do some reflection like hey you're being a snob and quite frankly a bit of a dick so let's try to to find a balance in this and, and that's what the whole conversation is is like i there is a place for analytics there's also a place for Uh, for lack of a better term the old school and uh, I think that that balance needs to be struck
0: that is middle ground that (laughs) is my generation and your generation and what I say is hope the people have enjoyed it we'll get more back to hockey and frankly taking your questions is something I will do whether it's analytics whether it's any form of hockey question Tomorrow, we will do that. And as we hit the middle ground to you, Mr. Klein, I say thank you. And that's a check mark. And have a great day, everyone.
3: Well. Flames insider Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style. Your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca.
2: So yes, all your launch angle questions tomorrow um, as we do a phones edition of Hockey Central at noon. No, the analytics debate is an interesting one and one that I have been very far on one side on and very far on the other side on. And as we have seen, I would suggest in the current political climate, the further you get to one side, the worse it gets. Uh, Time for us to take a break. When we come back, the Ottawa Senators are doing really well this offseason. And that's a strange place to be in because they have been a laughing stock for a while, but this has been a really smart offseason for the um, this has been a really smart off-season for the Ottawa Senators. We'll get into it with Haley Salvian from The Athletic Next here on Sportsnet 960 the Fan.
0: Hockey central at noon on Sportsnet 960, the Fan.
2: hockey central at noon uh, no kelly kirsch today peter klein and logan gordon with you the ottawa senators are working their way into the winner category of teams for the offseason with another uh, smart signing i think today alex galchenyuk a one-year one million dollar contract to help us break down the sends offseason thus far it is hayley salvian from the athletic hayley how are you today
3: i'm doing well how are you guys
2: Doing well, thank you. Uh, As I said before, another, in my opinion, smart signing by the Ottawa Senators with Alex Galchenyuk, uh, one year, $1.05 million. Uh, Before we get into some of the other moves and what it all means for Ottawa, uh, what do you make of the the Galchenyuk signing and his fit with the team?
3: Yeah, well, I think just looking at the the term and the dollar, it's a one-year, one one point, or, yeah, 1.05, essentially, one-year, $1 million deal, I think, you know, with that kind of a contract, the only downside here would be, you know, Alex Galchenyuk potentially blocking one of the younger players that potentially could have cracked the lineup. I think with Galchenyuk in the mix, uh, either up the middle or on the left wing, I think it's debatable, you know, which position that he'll end up playing with the Senators and which position is best for him. I think, you know, really it's it's a low risk, high reward deal. And and again, the only downside would be, you know, there's going to be a, a bigger training camp battle i would say for for really only one spot depending on how things play out with some of the sun's prospects but yeah i think it's a it's not a bad deal i think certainly if you know the senators losing anthony duclair this is a very similar um replacement here in alex on the left wing as anthony duclair and, and it's a similar kind of reclamation project i would say
2: and this is the interesting part of rebuilds now, right? Like, it, it's one thing to trade everything that's not staple to the ground, get as many draft picks as you can, but now it's that balance of how many of the kids do you play all at once, how many, for lack of a better term, adults in the room can you have. Like, this is, this is now the tricky part of the rebuild where now the, the development of these guys really matters and, and how, how much can you give to them and how much do you still need to have some veterans around. I, I find that tightrope walking very fascinating in the NHL.
3: Yeah, definitely. And that's probably been the biggest conversation I've seen online, whether it sends fans or sends media members like myself, it's looking at, okay, so what does this mean for the prospects now? And uh, there's a a really big discourse of, you know, you can't just hand Alex Formington and Josh Norris roles in the NHL next year. They've only had one professional season. Yes, they played great in the American Hockey League. They were both on the all-rookie team, the all-star team. Josh Norris was rookie of the year. Uh, But at the same time, you can't just hand them a roster spot. Um, But at the same time, you're never going to know what they can do at the NHL level if you don't give them that potential roster spot. So it's an interesting conversation and it's an interesting balance point for the Ottawa Senators. And again, I think a lot of this with Galchenyuk will... You know, a lot of this is going to be interesting to see because we don't know if Alex Formington and Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, Logan Brown are ready for the NHL. And I think some of the really good uh, measuring sticks that we could have had for these players um, are gone. We didn't get to see these players play in the American Hockey League playoffs. We didn't get to see them down the stretch when it gets really tough in the AHL, and we didn't get to see them in, in rookie camps and development camps. So. Um, those measuring sticks are gone, so it's really difficult to try to gauge how many of these players are actually going to be ready. Um, so projecting any kind of senator's lineup with these prospects right now without having seen anyone play in eight months is really difficult. So, you know, I would probably just say to everyone, we're just going to have to wait and see. And, you know, if, if it ends up being that Alex Formington had an amazing offseason and Tim Stutzla ends up playing and Alex Galchenyuk ends up being fourth liner in the press box, that's really not a big deal at all. because he, he's only making one million dollars.
2: Right. It's one of those like it's nice to have the kids. It's another thing to need the kids. And yeah, yeah. You, you still you, you can't like you said you can't just throw them to the wolves. And I, I hadn't really thought of the the lack of an American Hockey League playoff for for those players in their development. And even going into next season, it's one thing for the American Hockey League to come out today with any kind of a plan. COVID cares not for your plans, though, and how the American <laughs> Hockey League looks. Like that's, it, It's going to be, uh, I think, a very interesting to see how teams like Ottawa handle, OK, if the AHL is a bit different, where do we put some of these kids? I, I think next season is going to be fascinating. I think Ottawa probably going to be at the forefront of that.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think you're seeing a lot of these Senators' prospects on loan right now playing in different leagues. Um, and even some of those leagues have been canceled. I know Philip Schlappick was playing for free in, in the Czech League and that league has been kind of uh, forget, I don't remember if it's canceled or just suspended for right now due to COVID cases. So, you know, he was on loan and now he's he's not able to play right now because that league's been kind of been put on pause and Eric Branstroms he's playing in the Swiss League. Tim Stutzla, he is rehabbing his injury right now, um, but he is technically under contract with Mannheim in the DEL and um, I, I think I saw today that Germany is now going into a lockdown due to COVID. So, you know, even if the AHL's plan is different, there's a lot of different plans going on in these European leagues where these players have been put on loan to potentially play. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be, like you said, COVID does not care about the plans that these leagues are putting in place and the development curve and the development plan, ex- development plan, excuse me, for these players. So I don't know what it's going to look like, but, You know, it's just going to be one of those situations that we have to watch and see what happens.
2: When you mentioned Galchenyak before, talking about the the flexibility where you can play on the wing or down the middle and the potential to maybe block someone. Uh, Is there a spot where he's, I guess for lack of a better term, less in the way? Like, is it better for him to play center or better for him to play wing? Or are they pretty good prospect-wise at both spots?
3: Yeah, I think they're pretty good in both spots. I mean, the Senators don't really have a number one center right now. I think the plan with Tim Stutzla for this year, if he plays in the National Hockey League, is for him to play on the wing and just kind of get settled into the North American professional game before he gets put into a number one center spot. Um, So he's not really blocking Stutzla on the center position. But, you know, up the middle, the Senators currently have Chris Tierney, Josh Norris, Logan Brown, uh, Colin White, and Artem Anisimov. So certainly they have a lot of centers. They don't really have a clear-cut number one. I don't think Alex Delchenyuk would be their number one center regardless. I know there's lots of questions about his defensive abilities, which kind of is a bit of a flag for putting him up the middle, especially with a coach like DJ Smith who really values defensive responsibility. So I could see him being more of a fit on the wing. Um, and I think the left wing is probably where he would not be blocking as many players. I know left wing right now, if if the, if the plan is for Tim Stutzla to be in the national hockey league, um, you would have Brady Kachuk and Tim Stutzla possibly in that top six. Uh, and then in your bottom six, you would have uh, Alex Formanton, Nick Paul, Rudolph Spalsers, and then Alex Galchenyuk. So you know, I think that, you know, there's lots of options on both slots. And again, these players like Formington and Norris and Logan Brown have to prove that they deserve that spot still in the NHL. But I would probably say the most natural fit based on what Galchenyuk brings to the table and the prospects who are at the table uh, is probably his left wing
2: chatting with Haley Salvian from the Athletic here on Hockey Central and New Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Uh, The the last time um, I I chatted with you on these airwaves was right after the draft lottery. And at the time, for me, that felt like a loss for Ottawa because you have this opportunity to get a franchise-altering player. And you came on and was like, you know... Still, probably going to get a couple of pretty good players, and um, that is exactly how it played out in the draft for the Sens. And now in free agency, Evgeny Dadnov coming in. We talked about Galchenyuk. This kind of fe- this feels like a really positive off season for the Ottawa Senators. How have you? How, how do you assess the job Pierre Dorian's done so far this off season?
3: Yeah, well, I think you're right. It's been it's been a good off season for the Senators. I would say that you know I. I I think the Senators have done a really good job laying the foundation for the future. I I just had a story come out this morning where my colleague, Dom Luce-Chishin, he he and I kind of looked at what the Senators' roster would have looked like had they not made any changes uh, versus what the Senators' roster looks like now with the changes that they've made. And the improvement year over year, um, you know, heading into the 2020-2020 season, it's not a huge improvement. But what they've done for the future seasons is pretty impressive. You know, Tim Stutzla is projected to be a number one center. I know there's a debate around if he's going to be a center or a winger. I believe he can be a number one center for the Ottawa Senators. Um, You know, Jake Sanderson is going to be a top four, you know, really good defenseman behind Thomas Spott. And he's going to add that shutdown defensive element that the Senators' blue line doesn't really have right now. They have some really good prospects in Jacob Bernard-Docker, Lassie Thompson, Eric Brandstrom. Uh, most of them are, are pretty offensively gifted uh, defensemen, so adding Jake Sanderson to the fold is going to be really great. Uh, Ridley Gregg, even their their third uh, first-round pick, is is going to be a good forward, too. I think the Senators did a really great job at the draft. Uh, and adding some of these pieces through three agencies is great. Um, you talk about insulating your young players with, you know, veterans, I think Evgeny Dadnov gives them for the next three years a legitimate top line, top six player who can play up the lineup with Brady Kachuk and Tim Stutzla. I think that's going to be a great top line once, you know, Stutzla gets to that point of being a number one center and, you know, locking in Connor Brown, adding Galchenyuk for this one year. I just think you go down the list and the senators have done a really good job setting themselves up for success in the future.
2: Anything else on the the checklist? We we have no idea how long this off is going to be, but anything else on the off season checklist for the
3: Sens? I mean, I think with the Galchenyuk signing, I would I would probably lean towards saying that in terms of signing free agents, that's probably everything on their list. Um, you know, I could see, you know, just talking about how many options they now have uh, at center or on the wing. I, I don't know if there's going to be something where the Senators try to move out some of those bodies that kind of makes the who's going to sit and who are we going to play question a little bit easier. Um, I think that remains to be seen if they do make a move, like moving out. You know, I I think some people always speculate, you know, are the senators going to move out Logan Brown? Because he hasn't taken that spot. I'm not on the trade Logan Brown uh, wagon, but that's something potentially to keep an eye on that's purely speculative on my part. So. Yeah, I think they've checked the boxes in terms of, you know, getting their defensive core, getting their forwards up and down the lineup, and obviously getting Matt Murray. Uh, I didn't even talk about that. That's not an insignificant deal for the Sens. So, uh, you know, I think they're pretty set, but I wouldn't be shocked if they did something else. I'm just uh, I'm not sure what that could be yet.
2: It, it is kind of, I guess, it shows the busyness of this offseason for Ottawa. Because I forgot about Matt Murray, too. And it's like, they've done all <laughs> these things. Oh, and they added a number one goalie. Like, that. that's not yeah. That's not just an oh and by the way thing. Um, but no. and they, they still, even with, all, even with all this, they still have $13 million in cap space left. Um, they are one of the few teams who has been any cap space remaining. Do you see the Senators being in a position to be one of those teams who, the, the phrase is, weaponizes that cap space and, hey, we will take on your bad contract for a second or a first-round pick. Do you see Ottawa being one of those teams?
3: Well, that's something that I've proposed. You know, even going back to last year around the trade deadline, I, I wrote a story saying that the Senators should have been the ones to take on the David Backus contract from the Boston Bruins. I haven't seen the Senators make moves like that. They've certainly done moves. Uh, you know, like the Ryan Callahan contract where they put that on LTIR. Um, they've made moves like that in the past, but I haven't seen the senators just take on a really bad contract for a draft pick yet. Um, that's been something that I think I've written about, like I said, for the last year, saying, you know, here are some options of, of bad contracts they should take on. Um, and that just hasn't happened yet. So, I don't see them really changing their tune as they just haven't done that for for a while. So um, they did take on Erica Branson, who had a $4 million cap hit, but only $3 million in actual cash. So I think that kind of shows the kind of deals that the senators would prefer to do where their cap hit and the amount of cash they're owed uh, is different.
2: Uh, Last one for you. As we head toward a very different regular season than we're used to, we've heard a lot about the potential for an all-Canadian division. Um, That would see the team that you cover and the team that we cover seeing each other an awful lot. Uh, What are your opinions on the potential for an all-Canadian division, even just for a season?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I think an all-Canadian division would be really great to see. I just think especially when you look at not even the Senators, but, you know, just Calgary and Vancouver. You know how many uh, Canucks the uh, the Flames have signed, and you look at lots of the changeover just between the Canadian teams. You know, uh, you know Tyson Berry going to Edmonton from Toronto, and like I said, all of the the Canucks players going to to Calgary. I think it'll be really interesting if you can see, you know, just how many of those players kind of moved around within that potential Canadian division, and. I think it would be, a, you know, the Senators, it would make it a lot more difficult to them because, you know, you're you're playing some really good teams every single game. You know, you're not going to have the same kind of drop-off if you're playing, you know, all 30 teams in the league. Uh, so it might not be very great for the Ottawa Senators, but I think it could be really great for for the game, just the amount of potential rivalries that we could see within a Canadian division. I think it would be really great, and I'm kind of hoping to see that myself. Although it wouldn't I mean, really be that great for Suns fans, but
2: <laughs> I, and I mean, like when you think about it, like if they played ten times, the Kachuk brothers would have to fight in one of those games, right? Like it would just have to happen.
3: <laughs> I I don't think it could. I I think that Chantal <laughs> would be very upset if they did that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say for their mom's sake that that can't happen.
2: Okay, well that, um, <laughs> that that's probably the more logical answer. Uh, Haley, this was awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. We'll chat soon.
3: Yeah,
2: thank you, guys. There you go. Haley Salvian from The Athletic covering the Ottawa Senators. One of, I I believe, one of the more intriguing teams this offseason as one of the, the more difficult things, I think, to do in sport is to go from, all right, we suck, so let's trade everything and just get a bunch of kids and rebuild, and now it's okay how much do you actually trust the kids and how much like how many veterans do you have to bring in it's a it's a tough tough scenario to to walk through and i think the ends so far so good on that front haley joins us on the atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place atlas pizza and sports bar the best pizza pasta steaks and ribs since 1975 at 6060 memorial drive in the northeast time for a break we'll put a bow on hockey central at noon next here on sportsnet 960 the fan
0: hockey central at noon on sportsnet 960 the fan
2: on hockey central at noon here on sportsnet 960 i'm peter klein i am at home logan is at the iconic studio powered by iconic electric and controls uh this is year three of partnering with iconic and now we're taking that it's a big step it, the, the studio sponsorship thing that's not just like holding hands and walking by the park like that's that's it's a big move uh, letting them letting them into our room as the studio sponsor. Uh, they've been involved in Flames broadcasts, the NHL, countless on-air giveaways over the years. Iconic proudly owned and operated from Western Canada since 2008. They take great pride in giving back to the communities that we all work and live in. Commitment, it's Iconic. Contact them today at IconicEC.ca. Uh, logo, I, I would say, like... As sports fans, everyone has real strong opinions on jerseys. Um, Because I have strong opinions on really bad jerseys, I get called upon a lot for the jersey conversation. We have another one today as the Dallas Stars unveiling uh, an all-black jersey, which I'm a fan of. I think every team needs to have a black jersey. Listen up, Calgary Flames. However, the parts that aren't black would be the logo, uh, bit of the trim at the bottom the names and numbers obviously because that would be weird um and instead of black and instead of their regular green they are singe your eyes out neon green um i may be leading the witness here because i think they're terrible but what do you make of the new dallas stars jerseys yeah they're
1: um they're they're something they are um they are a jersey i will give them that um yep I don't I don't understand sometimes why like the neon always seems to make some sort of return. It's been an all-star jersey thing. It's been, you know, like the Buccaneers kinda did a weird little neon version thingy on their jerseys a a few years ago. It just doesn't really work for me. I just like and they have a really nice green as it is in Dallas. Um I really liked what they've gone with the last couple years, and then they just kinda come out of left field with the neon option. I don't love it. The logo is nice. It's a little change up with the, uh, the state outline, the Texas outline and the, uh, the Dallas star uh, in it, Mm -hmm. but just misses the mark. I don't quite understand the neon thing.
2: Yeah. And like the green they have is perfect. Like that, that is such a, a crisp green. I love it. And I saw it like, I watched the, the unveiling video and they have like the neon at the start and then they show the logo. And I thought, oh, when they take that neon light off of this, this is going to look sick. And then the neon light just stayed the whole time because the whole damn thing is like glow in the dark. Like it's, yeah,
0: they're
2: they're right, they're going right down the right path. And then it's just, and neon. It's like so close. But uh, this one definitely getting a, a thumbs down grade for me. And it sounds like you are the same on that one.
1: Yeah, I'm going to join you in the, the thumbs down one. I mean, like it might look good at like, if you were at Lloyd's roller skate, you know, a few years like ten years <laughs> yeah. ago, that might have looked cool while you were uh, rollerblading right. around. But uh, as far as a pro jersey, it's uh, it's a no for me, dog.
2: Yeah, when you go glow bowling, that is definitely the uh, the outfit. That yeah, the you go if be. you
1: go like to mini golf in the dark, glow in the dark mini golf right. or something like that, then you can wear that. But you know, if you're out in public in other spaces, don't wear it
2: yeah no that's um that like if 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 you're out like riding your bike at night that might be good like the reflective gear so that people can see you like that's a that's a strong one Uh, a couple texts at 960960 it's funny everything we've talked about today in the jersey conversation gets the most (laughs) replies as always excellent um someone's saying those are going to be beer league team jerseys um the dallas stars jersey the worst jersey in all of sports absolutely gross look they're not even the worst jerseys in the history of the dallas stars but i appreciate the passion Uh, my take is the same for every jersey as long as you don't call it a sweater I don't care what it looks like. Yeah. That's one part of the, the hockey lingo that I've been behind on. I, I don't call jerseys sweaters. I call them jerseys. I'm also late on the like calling goals tucks or, or all those things. I'm very like, I, I represent the new school aspect when it comes to analytics and I'm behind on some of the lingo, but I've, I've never, never been able to get behind a sweater when it comes to talking about jerseys.
1: Yet You call it a bunny hug.
2: Well, yeah. Cause that's what it's called. It's I, not I a have... bunny
1: hug though the hoodie
2: i bounce i bounce between bunny hug and hoodie i'm not exclusively um if i start calling it bunny hug you know i've been in saskatchewan for a couple of weeks that's that's generally uh, the one that i get caught up on and now we've gone way off the beaten path i i can't remember because i lived in ontario for a couple of years i can't remember if i'm supposed to call it a cottage or a cabin when i'm out here and that one always throws me off the hoodie one i understand but cottage and cabin that's the debate that i get caught up in the middle in all the time it's cost me friendships really um as it's a, a very hotly contested debate over the years
1: i don't think it matters i don't know that it, i don't know, i don't know that it matters out here
2: to some people it matters to i've never heard I've,
1: I've heard the i've heard people like you go off to the saskatchewan with the the bunny hug thing and you know be like talk like a normal person but I've never heard anyone care what it was called a cabin or a cottage. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think a cottage, well, I just think a cottage cheese of that one. I don't like that, so.
2: <laughs> that is fair. Yeah, not a, not a cottage cheese fan, even a little bit. Uh, and finally, this text to sum everything up. What the hell is a bunny hug, and why are you wearing one? That's going to do it for Hockey Central at noon, coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. Sports, analytics, debate. Uh, The World Series brings about all of that as the Los Angeles Dodgers are champions, thanks in part to a decision made by the Tampa Bay Rays. We will discuss that uh, with Arash Madani coming up at 1.25. We will have your snow report and so much more, probably more sweater bunny hug debates as we continue with the big show next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.